We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag. March has arrived, and folks, it's time for March Madness. And if you're like me, you haven't watched nearly any college basketball this year, but that's not going to stop you from gambling your face off during the big dance. Make sure to head to BetOnline and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, 100K to do what you're already going to do and gamble on March Madness. It's on March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on this action with multiple entries available. It's the season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, plus you've got Major League Baseball starting up. Whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account. And make sure that you use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign up bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Blue Wire. The town, Boston. The team, the Celtics. The event, the NBA Finals. And their biggest fans are Jimmy and Mike. Unfortunately, he's gonna shoot it every time. The Utah Jazz. I want him dead. Has Lewis Scott. If he gets hot, we are in trouble. I'm on fire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire and presented by BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It's the first episode of March, and if you've been listening to this pod, you'll know that we spent February doing Oscars month. This ain't that. This ain't an Oscar movie. Not even close. We're talking Celtic Pride. It's a movie that really should have worked. It's kind of infuriating that it didn't. Uh, written by Judd Apatow, legend. Uh, also written by Colin Quinn, legend, starring Dan Aykroyd, legend. It's also got Damon Wayans, Daniel Stern, uh, you know, brief cameo by Jeff Ross. This movie should have been really good. It sucks, uh, but it was very fun to talk about. Brandon Winnard returned to the pod. 
Brandon, if you remember, if you've been a longtime listener, covered Varsity Blues with us back when we were trouble with the script. Uh, early supporter of the pod, really appreciative that that he returned. Brandon's doing great work over at Bro Bible. It's a site I've read for a long time. They've got some new podcasts on their network that he'll detail early in our episode, including our good buddy J.R. Hickey's Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage podcast. If you remember, had J.R. on a few weeks ago to talk Chariots of Fire. Uh, love his podcast. Go check that out. Speaking of another podcast you should go check out, if you are a baseball fan, please remember to check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm presented by Baseball America. Uh, every other Tuesday, interviewing a you know current and past uh, professional baseball players, high school signees about their career experiences, their journey through the minor leagues. It's a passion project of mine. Uh, I've had two episodes so far. You know, definitely go check that out. Let me know what you think. I uh, had Nationals former Nationals prospect JP Ramirez on this past week. Next week. Uh, former Marlins prospect, actually big leaguer, and former LSU QB Josh Booty on. It's been a really interesting series. Looking forward to dropping more episodes of that. Definitely go check that out. If you're enjoying big screen sports and you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, review. You guys know the drill. Those ratings and reviews are much needed. Extremely helpful. Uh, can't thank you enough. If, you, if you've already done that, go check out some old episodes. Uh, they're evergreen. Recently, we've covered movies like Field of Dreams and Bloodsport, you know, doing the, doing the classics. Uh, we've got, you know, a year's worth of episodes out there now. So if this is your first episode of Big Screen Sports, go see if we've covered one of your favorites. You can follow us on Twitter at big underscore screen sport and Instagram at big screen sports pod for sports movie content and upcoming episode info. Next week, we've got a cool interview with author Anika Orock about her new book, The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, as well as some A League of Their Own talk. But let's go talk Celtic Pride with Brandon Winnard. All right, today I am joined by a returning guest. Uh, he, he joined me last year early on in this podcast when it was titled Trouble with the Script. He's now back for Big Screen Sports. It is the founder of BroBible.com, Brandon Winter. Brandon, thank you so much for returning to Big Screen Sports. My man, I'm so happy to be back. It's what an exciting year it's been watching you blow up, blow this thing up. Such a variety of titles you've had. Well, I appreciate you coming on way back when, when I was first starting out. Uh, we covered Varsity Blues, an all-time classic, all-time rewatchable movie. Great sports movie, a lot of memorable lines, just a lot of good stuff about it. Today we're doing a dumpster fire, but before we talk about it, tell me what you guys have going on at Bro Bible. Dude, we have so much going on. Um, you know, when we when we talked uh, about Varsity Blues, we were just kind of like doubling down on our editorial in a big way and trying to make some really meaningful hires, uh, kind of trying to scoop up some meaningful IP. We had a monstrous uh, fall when, it, in the terms of in terms of traffic, we uh, we 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 had our biggest fall that we've ever had, our biggest year that we ever had in 2019. Um, and then we kind of brought some new people in. We brought in uh, Francis Ellis, uh, comedian, writer, blogger, podcaster, uh, general funny funny person. Uh, we brought in this guy recently, just started a couple of days ago. Um, his name is Robbie Berger at Brilliantly Dumb, and uh, he's based in LA here with me. Just a really fascinating dude who loves sports, uh, loves sports gambling, and is like doubling down on kind of being 
being a funny guy. So I'm kind of in addition to all the other stuff that I do on a, on a day-to-day basis to keep, keep the ship full running full steam ahead. Uh, I'm producing this podcast and today it was cool because we booked a bunch of studio time with Bob Mennery, uh, who's the voice of Buffalo wild wings. And, uh, I feel, I feel like everybody in the sports world knows Bob in some way, but for it was his, really uh, cool. his announcing videos for on his, YouTube. Yeah. For his announcing videos on YouTube, which is it's, it's very like serendipitous for me because, uh, two years ago, like he sent his like very first video ever to me to post on bro Bible and like dude had like 600 followers and uh, just built an absolute career out of that viral moment. And then doubling down on more or less doing his, you know, God gifted talent uh, over and over and over again. And uh, now he's made it an incredibly, you know, an incredibly successful career, arguably one of the, one of the most like successful, you know, independent, um, you know, sports media type careers. I think you could have, you know, I, and I, and I'm so fucking happy for him. I'm so proud. So it was really cool to record today with him and uh, him and him and Bobby, and uh, just you know, kind of talk about like what some of those days were like when we were like, all right, here's this guy with this crazy cbs sports caster voice and let's make him go viral and then he did and you know now he's back and knows rub shoulders with aaron Rodgers regularly and everything like that so well you guys have been ground floor on a lot of guys like that and one of the things i've been reading bro bible since i was in high school but one of the things that it, that is a part of your your site and your network now is one of my favorite podcasts uh, our mutual buddy jr hickey does oh yeah yeah the entourage podcast uh, if listeners remember he was on a couple weeks ago did did chariots of fire with me uh that movie won best picture in 1982 Today, Brandon and I are talking about Celtic Pride, which didn't win anything. Maybe some Razzies, I'm not sure. In 1996, Celtic Pride is the 1996 American comedy film. Uh, Two rabid Boston basketball fans go over the edge and kidnap the star player of the Utah Jazz during the NBA Finals. Starred Dan Aykroyd, Daniel Stern, and Damon Wayans. Was directed by Tom... uh, Tom DeCirco, DeCircio, I don't know. He, he directed a shitty movie. His name doesn't, I'm not going to pronounce it right. Uh, was written by Judd Apatow and Colin Quinn. Um, on paper, this movie should have worked. If, you, if I told you, Brandon, that I was, I was, I was going to show you a movie that starred Dan Aykroyd, Daniel Stern, Damon Wayans, Judd Apatow wrote it, would you expect that movie would get a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes and gross only $10 million? I would expect it to be a Ghostbuster-style comedy smash success. It's it's honestly shocking how, how not good this was. Um, before you determine what level of sports movie this is, Brandon, what makes a good sports movie, in your opinion? Um, you know, I think, I think a lot of tension, um, obviously. A, com- a truly compelling story. Um, I, I think. I think also that there is is the genre that that Celtic Pride tried to uh, replicate was you know the success that like uh, Adam Sandler was kind of seen in this era in 1996 with like you know his kind of Happy Madison um, movies. 
and comes out the same year as Happy Gilmore. The exact same year as Happy Gilmore. Not and the, the thing, only connection it has to Happy Gilmore. Yes, and we could get into that in a second. The, the but but what I'm trying to say is that I think that to double down on comedy in a sports movie, you have to really you have to really really have funny writing. It's got to be a gut buster. It it's got to be, be a gut buster. Happy Gilmore, The Water Boy, Dodgeball, those funny. It has to be quotable the, as hell. Exactly quotable. Like it's the only way that humor works. And the thing about this movie is like it tried, and the fact that you know it's Judd Apatow with you. You forgot to mention his writing partner Colin Quinn um, was was also who like co wrote it with him. And so you have like two super funny people, but clearly they just like were at the beginning of writing for the screen at the time, you know? Yeah. Apatow doesn't, he doesn't break out on screen with movies. 40 year old version is 2005. So he doesn't break out on the big screen until nearly a decade after this. I mean, he gets freaks and geeks going, um, which is, which is great. But yeah, I mean this, uh, this one just it, it just didn't work. Uh, Brandon, is this a Hall of Fame All Star starter or bench warmer sports movie? Bench warmer, hardcore bench warmer. I will never. I saw this movie years ago. I didn't remember it very well, and now I am I am determined to never watch this again. Which is sad. yeah. I mean, I love Dan Aykroyd. I love Daniel Stern. I love Damon. I love Damon Wayans. I love obviously Judd Apatow and Colin Quinn and Judd Apatow's work. Judd Apatow has been the most important comedy writer in movies in, in the past two decades, really. And it, this is shocking. Um, I have an opening question for you. I don't want to step too much on improving this movie, but is this movie better if at the end Mike and Jimmy end up in prison? Yes, a thousand times. I, agree. I think it I think there's a like way of rewriting the premise of this movie where it's like a really really dark like soul wretching movie. I fully agree. I th- I really think there's a lot here in the bones of this movie that can make something just everything about it. Um let's get into IMDb trivia. There's not a lot for this movie uh before we get into everything. The scenes that were shot in the Boston Garden was actually created by the film's production designer, Stephen Marsh. It was about 90% close to what the old Boston Garden looked like at the time. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I got to pause you there. Yes. Like, I watched this whole movie, you know, obviously in preparation, thinking that this was filmed in the Boston Garden. Was it not? I think it was filmed in the old, maybe the new in the Boston old, Garden, yeah. the old. I don't know. I'm I'm not really sure. The IMDb trivia is a little contradictory. I always think that IMDb might work like Wikipedia, where you can add anything. Um, with a movie like this, I don't think people have really cared to double check what was going on. To be honest, got it. I try to uh, research these movies past IMDb trivia. I look for like you know some movies have great oral histories or articles about them. This one really not a lot. A lot of people have just been content to send this one out to pasture see i feel like the reason why i'm like why i'm so curious about that is because um it seems so important to what drives the movie that it takes place in the old boston garden it's like a celebration if you will or it's it's trying to be a celebration of um of the old old boston garden like people get like 
you know, there's multiple times where they mention, you know, tearing it down and everything like that. Get like kind of sad and campy over it. Um, yeah, it tries like, to be nostalgic about it. Yeah, it tries to be nostalgic about it, but it's like it's fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I agree. Uh, the character of Lewis Scott, the the ball player played by Damon Wayans, is supposed to be a takeoff on Michael Jordan and emulates him on the court in some instances with the way he handles the ball and plays the game. If that was their intention, they did it. They did. They really did a bad job, which we'll go but, into. He is not. Yeah. He doesn't really have. I think he's like what someone who didn't pay a ton of attention to basketball thought Michael Jordan might have been like, like a ball hog and a jerk. Um, so like that's like not to ju- say that Michael Jordan didn't have his jerk moments, but just completely different kind of dude. Yeah. So like, doesn't that kind of like seem about what you would think Judd Apatow would like how Judd Apatow would write Michael Jordan yeah, well, see, in the mid nineties. That's, that's kind of, there's a lot in this movie that's like, this is what, we think this is like, yes, I think. And there's a lot of examples of this is, this is an example of something that we think we know what it's all about, but we really don't. And we'll, we'll get into that. Um, this is one of two films involving an obsession with a store sports megastar, um, or a team released in 1996. The other was the fan, which would be released by TriStar pictures in August starred Wesley Snipes and Robert De Niro with De Niro obsessed with Snipes, a star baseball slugger, on this and the San Francisco Giants baseball team. That is a movie that went like the opposite direction of this one in terms of intent. It went dark and that one didn't land either. Uh, so it really two misfires in those movies. Oh I'm my. kind of excited to cover that one. I've always loved like juiced up. Oh Wesley my Snipes, gosh. The Bobby fan, Rayburn. The fan, it, like I'm looking at the box office mojo on it. It was, it was made for $55 million and grossed 18. <laughs> I mean, if I, it, it's just like this. If I told you that there was a baseball movie that starred Wesley Snipes and Robert De Niro, you'd be all in. I mean, which is why that movie got greenlit. So it's kind of wild that both of these movies just completely misfired. Um, yeah, and I, I wonder, like, what the, like, Hollywood um, environment was like in, like, the mid-'90s, considering how many, cl- you know, now classic um, sports movies that came out of this kind of, like, six seven year stretch um i wonder if it was just like green light to everything well there was Um, a ton of reinvent the formula going on in the 90s sports movies you had the 70s and the 80s where it was a lot of classic underdog stuff teams gotta win the underdog like rocky's gotta win a lot of big chill moments like uh you know roy hobbs knocking out the lights and um, stuff in like, you know, stuff Rudy. like major, yeah, Rudy, stuff like that. Yeah. And then in the nineties, it's a lot of, let's change this formula. Let's bring like zany Sandler sports comedies in there. Let's try different dark things like the fan. Uh, it's so that, I mean, and that's kind of like what the nineties was like in general. It was just like, let's try weird stuff. Let's try let's new be things. zany. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, last bit of IMDb trivia. Um, it's one of two films released in 96 that starred Damon Waynes as a star athlete and essential to the film's plot. The other was The Great White Hype, which he co-starred with Oscar nominees Samuel L. Jackson and Jamie Foxx playing the boxing heavyweight champion of the world, James the Grim Reaper Roper, who fights a former Golden Gloves champion, Irish Terry Conklin, played by future director Peter Berg. I actually have not seen The Great White Hype. It is on the list for this podcast. Just haven't haven't seen it. 
amazing. I am I I I am fascinated by you know how the like you know and if you know anything about this like I'm fascinated by like how Dan Aykroyd got involved in this like project and uh I went down a really big IMDb rabbit hole about like what he was doing in this era uh, because I'm super I think Dan Aykroyd is like is he's super fascinating to me, especially after like um, a recent Joe Rogan interview that he did. Um, but in 1996 alone, he was in um, five movies that came out. And then in uh, basically between 1995 and the end of 1997, he was in about 13 to 14 uh, different projects, which he is goes all crazy. in on like bit bit roles for bit roles, the, right, the second right. half of his career, which is kind of strange as like a comedy icon and genius. Like uh, three years after this, or no, one year after this, he does Gross Point Blank. Yep. I love Gross Point Blank, and he's Amazing just like movie. he's a, he's a minor player. He's awesome in the movie. He's so much better than he is in this. But um, yeah, it just he does like it's weird. Like he does Pearl Harbor. Like yep. Dan Aykroyd in a Michael Bay movie. That's wild. Um, it, I mean, he, he's an icon and it's kind of, you know, the, the th- this movie bef- just doesn't make sense of why, di- why it yeah. didn't work. Like, I feel like the year before this, he had two pretty ma- major roles with like, you know, supporting roles with, uh, with Tommy boy and Canadian bacon. And like, that's what like fascinates me is like, the amount of work that he was getting in that time period, he must have just been like, okay, I'm getting all these like, you know, half million dollar jobs. Uh, and I really want to buy like uh, another house in like Aspen or like wherever the fuck it is that Dan Aykroyd, you know, buys real estate. And then he's like, I need a feature. And, you know, someone just pops it on his desk and boom, here we are. Yeah, but even then, I I wish there was an oral history for this movie. I don't think anyone's ever going to put the work in to do that. No. <laughs> but it is. I mean, it's a lot of – it's a very young Judd Apatow. It's a lot of people with SNL ties. It's Daniel Stern off – I think he's off like City Slickers 2, which yep. wasn't the greatest. But it's still Daniel Stern off a really good run where he's done the two Home Alones. He's done the first City Slickers um he's done rookie of the year which isn't a very good movie rookie of the year sucks but i think it did well was very nostalgic at least and then it's this and then he he just he daniel stern goes kind of mia in the sense of he just like randomly pops into stuff he is in an off the like offbeat sports movie in 2009 he does whip it which is the ellen page roller derby movie which is actually really good um it's like ellen page Kristen wig drew barrymore uh, actually really good. He plays kind of a, like a, he plays, um, Ellen Page's dad, I believe in that movie. But this is one of the last things you see Daniel Stern starring in. And that's, unf- I think Daniel Stern's really that's fun. sad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, now that you say it, like he did kind of drop off the face of the planet around this like time. <laughs> Yeah, well, and let's get into why. Let's let's talk about the movie. Yep. Uh, let's go with – I'm talk about the best scenes. I only have four nominees. Uh, there's the, the beginning scene where Mike's coaching Jim. His wife shows up to uh, to let him know that she's leaving him. He freaks out. You kind of get a sense of, 
he's just this washed up gym teacher. Uh, you know that I think that made me laugh once. Yep. Um, the the scene where they go to the club and they they originally they they come across Lewis Scott uh, when they meet Larry Bird. It's got uh, what I think is the second funniest line in the movie when uh, Mike says, "I can't believe I'm wearing Jack Nicholas's green jacket," and and uh, Ackroyd says, "Took that when he won his first Masters." Like Ackroyd just that, <laughs> that gag of him just having this random sports memorabilia. Um, the one-on-one game where Lewis Scott plays Mike one-on-one, Damon Wayne's character, and that's just that was in best scenes for me because it's what we've always dreamed of as sports fans of watching a heckler have to go against an athlete and just getting rocked. Like yes. anyone who's ever said something bad at like Michael Jordan, you wish you, you wish MJ and MJ I'm sure wishes, wishes too that he could have just pulled that guy off the crowd out of the crowd and just been like first to 11, let's go. And just, and that, that scene too, is I think that was Wayne's at his best. Cause he's really not given a lot to work with here in this movie, honestly. Yep. And they kind of let him be like, okay, be a, be a shit talker and take Daniel Stern, just, just end his world on the court. And, and that, that happens. So that's actually a satisfying scene in a movie full of unsatisfying scenes. And then, um, the scene right before the, last uh before the last game where it's mike and jimmy making amends with their families and where mike's kid who is a who is great says uh hey dad what's prison gonna be like oh yeah who's the who's the kid the kids turned out to be somebody from freaks and geeks right the kid is played by uh adam hendershot plays tommy o'hara he's not in let's see he was in uh he was in Doogie Howser way That's back when. What I'm um, thinking of. Did a lot of it, it looks like he was in a lot of a lot of cameos. Like a lot, a lot of, of single lot of single yep. single episode TV, uh, Malcolm in the Middle, Boston Public, Judging Amy, like every every network TV show he could find. So he wasn't in a whole lot Got uh, after this. There was but something he, just funny very in this familiar movie. about yeah. like about him of that era. Um, I would say my my favorite scene was um, well, my favorite scene was the quote about when um he when when you know when he's just um busting on collecting sports memorabilia, uh, and all the trophies of other people's achievements. Um, I think that was such a great quote. And when Lewis Scott like has him completely figured out. Yeah. Lewis yeah. Scott just totally rips him to pieces. Um, that, and I also thought the scene that um, got the hardest laugh from me was the scene in the um, truck before they get to the gas station, when he makes his first uh, first first escape where he's talking about how like how um the budweiser model yeah the budweiser models yeah and everybody's like fawning over it so like so kind of hypersexually um that that just like seemed like very big time big time 90s uh big time 90s like dude energy um and i thought that 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 kind of cracked me up 
And that's also the only scene where they establish any real rapport between Lewis Scott and his kidnappers, which I think if you wanted this movie to work, you were going to need more of. Um, a little bit more like Stockholm syndrome yeah, exa- going on. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and you know, I, I've I've got more from that when we uh, when we get to, I guess, what didn't work. Okay, Brandon, th- this might be a tough question. What what was the most authentic sports centric part about this movie to you? Um, I think the the end where <laughs> where suddenly um where suddenly there is the uh, Lewis Scott is you know a, a team player <laughs> which team which player is like, bringing success which is like a crazy weird re- way of revealing that um but i would say that, like that's the o- i mean let's be honest like as far as sports go that was like the only uh truly like meaningful sports scene in the whole movie this movie's extremely sports deficient and and because of that the most authentic thing about this movie to me was uh the the way they made the old floor at the boston garden look like they put in some work it looked like an yep. old nba court that, that felt old, the most authentic to me like a red arbach era style uh court exactly Exactly. I, I think I think one of the things that like it missed too is it's a, it's a movie that like was trying really hard to make a commentary about like um like hyper hyper excessive sports fandom. Um and it just like kind of and it works because we all know that Boston sports fans are crazy. Um but it also like misses the mark because you know, I think, you know, for 98% of any sort of sports fandom, like, they're going to draw the line at kidnapping, you know? <laughs> well, and, and with that, the, the thing they're making on sports fandom and Boston sports fandom is being, like, crazy. That's the least authentic thing to me is just the authenticity of Stern and Ackroyd and Apatow and Quinn getting it they do not have the true feel of, of Boston sports. So Stern is from Maryland. Ackroyd's from Canada. Apatow and Quinn are from, from New York. There are the no best, Boston, the best Boston movie. movies, the best Boston yeah. movies like the departed or the town or goodwill hunting. They're chock full of Boston guys. The thumbprint of the thumb of Boston is on that scale. There's a certain vibe that that city has that even if you don't live in that city. When you see it on screen, you know it, and you know the difference, and you know what those sports fans are like. And that's this movie falls short in a lot of ways. That's the biggest way is that you really don't feel you feel like Stern and Ackroyd, like God bless them, two very funny men, are just kind of pretending to be these diehard Boston fans. Like you can dress up Ackroyd in his ridiculous vest in his apartment with all this memorabilia, but it just does not, there's, there's something missing there. And I wish I can completely put my finger on it, but I really think it's just like, they're not Boston sports fans. And it it just, it doesn't work. That's the least authentic thing to me. It just does not work for me that they're, they're that Boston. The only one who I felt like was really Boston was the, your stereotypical Irish American cop, uh, Kevin O'Grady. (laughs) <laughs> but other than that it was um it was very much it was kind of like the the fever pitch thing i think fever pitch did a better job of it the fallon movie 
uh, feeling feeling a little more like you know diehard, surrounded by diehard Red Sox fans, but this one missed the mark for me completely in that regard. Yeah, there's this like you know I think the thing and look like the cult culture is in history and the time and place of when this movie came, when uh, Celtic Pride came out is is obviously really important because like you know there's no way that you can um make any movie about boston sports ever uh moving forward without talking about the most incredible championship streak a city has really ever seen um and you know that's i think that's why it's so hard to um watch now because like no modern audience can really like commiserate with um you know Celtics fans whining about the city having a, a championship drought. Yeah, well, and even even then, even mid nineties, if this was like Red Sox fans, I mean, they basically did this in Fever Pitch, but the Celtics had just and, and they mentioned this in the movie. They're like, "Oh, new Celtics dynasty." Well, there was an old Celtics dynasty, you know, six yes. years before this. Like it had just recently wrapped up. Uh, so again, that's not. It's not too. It would have honestly been like two diehard jazz fans. The, the Utah Jazz have still yes. yet to win in an NBA title. If yeah. I can, if if uh, if I yeah, like correct, like like in maybe in, like in a lot of ways, it's almost like oh, is it a Carl Malone, John Stockton movie? You know about uh, how far with, they with were Carl going. Malone is the bad guy. <laughs> Carl Malone is a bad bad guy. Man, Carl. I used to love Carl Malone as a kid. I was so fascinated by the fact that he was a truck driver. Like he was like he had like a CDL, and that was like his thing. Um, was like you know playing basketball and with all <laughs> the stuff and all the articles, truck. all the articles that came out about Carl Malone after his career. He's just very fortunate he didn't come up in this uh, uh in this huh? day and age. Another <laughs> one of a uh, classic example of don't meet your heroes. Absolutely. Uh, let's go into the brief category of of what worked about this movie what um what was what was something you enjoyed about this movie or noticed that that sports centric that worked there i I really don't have a lot but there were a few things um so we haven't we haven't mentioned who the coach is yet for uh what actor the coach is for the utah jazz and that would be Christopher McDonald, a.k.a. Exactly. Shooter McGavin, who has himself a hell of a sports movie year with this. He's, he's actually enjoyable in this. But then Shooter McGavin, who's a, a possibly a Mount Rushmore sports movie villain. Absolutely. And I think that, like, you know, when you ask what works, I actually think that, like, his ca- coach character for the jazz um, – works like really well he's the he's the hated heel coach uh for you know an nba team a western conference nba team that's now made it to the nba finals yet nobody seems to respect him especially the star player um and i love like i love the chemistry of you know the heckling the heckling fan with the coach in the very in that very first boston garden scene um just because like that's more realistic to me than somebody going after a player um and especially with uh for lack of a better way of call 
lack of a better way of saying it, uh, Shooter McGavin shooting back at him and getting all getting all red in the face. And he starts uh, he starts finding his way into that that niche role that he does a little bit, kind of like that semi unlikable foil. And this one, he's kind of he's getting walked on by Lewis Scott. But then, I mean, obviously he's Shooter McGavin, and two years later he is uh, he is in Dirty Work as Travis Cole, which Dirty oh, Work is yeah. iconic. I wish it was a sports movie. I would I would love to talk about it. Um, but Christopher McDonald's also very versatile. He's in another sports movie. He plays a uh, real life Yankees broadcaster Mel Allen in '61. He's excellent. Um, in in this movie, he is a he is one of the the small bright spots. Um, you know, there, there's really not a lot. I like that they did the Lewis Scott. They did the Barkley commercial. The I am not a role model. I am not a hero. A hero fights against injustice. A hero sacrifices for the good of man. He unites, uplifts, and inspires. I'm not a hero. Um, I like that they brought that in. It's kind of it's kind of random, but they they yep. kind of set Lewis Scott up as more kind of Barkley ish. Uh, I didn't really have anything else other than Daniel Stern. The, the screenplay of this movie, there's not many jokes. It's not very funny. I Daniel Stern seems like he is in between. Am I supposed to be this dark, twisted guy who's not redeemable? Or am I supposed to be funny? But yep. it, it's just frustrating that he didn't do more after this. It's uh, it's. I'm glad that you brought up the I am not a role model commercial because like in a lot of ways that felt so um that felt so 2020 you know like you could i you could picture that commercial getting made by nike in the last four years um and that's like that to me when i saw it i was like oh this is like not far off base at all yeah that barkley ad is still cool like 25 years later yeah yeah so i i don't know i like i i dig that like they went there with that Mm-hmm. It was one of the it was one of the few basketball touches that worked. But let's get into what didn't work. I think there's a lot. I think there is nitpicks. There's tons of little stuff that you can just be like, this didn't work for me. That didn't work for me. But there's also deeper stuff as to why this movie didn't work. What what was glaring for you? What right off the bat is like this didn't work? I mean, the idea of <laughs> the biggest one is just the basic premise. The idea that. That two fans could kidnap uh, a star player during the NBA Finals, and you know, because he's such an egotist and you know, uh, outspoken against you know being a team player, misses games without anyone knowing his whereabouts. Uh, it's that's it's an absurd. It's an absolutely absurd idea. His team might have hated him. Lewis Scott's team. But he would have had an entourage of yes men surrounding him at that club. No way would that guy not have a crew that it was at least eight or nine guys deep of just hangers on. There's yeah. no way that he would be alone and be able to be abducted by two random white guys. Exactly. And, you know, the, the look, the premise is such a ridiculously faulty premise. And, like, the, the thing that it, like, almost... Um, reminds me of to to a degree is um, who's the I'm gonna blank on the name 
um, super famous SEC, uh, the guy that like um, poisoned all the trees. Uh, oh, Harvey two- Updike. Yeah, Harvey Updike. Right, exactly. Like, you know, Harvey Updike to me is like the epitome of what a insane sports fan um, criminal actions look like. And like at first you're like, oh, that's like there is a little bit of like humor in it, in the absurdity of it. Um, but, but then when you really think about it, you're like, that's fucked up that that's how your brain works. Um, and I don't think that they really like deal with that and the consequences of what that looks like, um, you know, in a way that even makes it resonate to anybody. This movie doesn't really know what it wants to be, honestly. Yeah. It can't decide yeah. if it wants to be just a lovable comedy. Uh, but the thing is, it's not funny and it gives us no one to root for, but it also doesn't go full black comedy or full dark twisted kind of movie. It's stuck in the middle and it's just mediocre because of it. Uh, the one sports thing for me that two sports things that didn't work, it's a very, and this is something that even comedy films should get right is being able to film some legitimate sports action. The water boy does a good job of it. Um, yep. Even dodgeball, filming a dodgeball tournament, it seems realistic. The These NBA finals are very low energy, low intensity. The Boston Garden was notorious, is notorious, for being a hostile place to play very loud, and it's the NBA finals. Filming good basketball is possible, and Blue Chips did it two years prior. They just didn't do it. It's like, did they, right. it's like they felt like they didn't. They didn't feel the need to be authentic with that, but it also wasn't a spoof enough game. It wasn't like they were playing basketball out there. They were still playing basketball. They just didn't. It feels like a pickup game. It, it's yeah. very low energy, and it actually would have improved this movie if you felt the intensity and the stakes of the NBA Finals. You didn't feel, I mean, part of this problem with this movie, you don't feel anything. But if you had felt the stakes of the NBA Finals, it could have improved things. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious like the the thing that's interesting to me is that the entire emphasis of like the team dynamic is fully on the jazz in this movie. Um you know because they kind of like they have like a couple like two like eastern european players that are like you know they they kind of highlight in it from a writing standpoint and like there's that huge, uh, the the really tall center with a face guard, uh, where they're cracking like face guard jokes at it, which like goes to show you how kind of dated it is. Extremely. Um, I mean, how did this jazz <laughs> team fun. even? How did the jazz team even make the finals? They all hated each other. There was zero chemistry. It was like the yeah. It was like the '04 Lakers, but with less talent. I mean, when when. You know, in the one press conference, he talks about having to, like, carry the back of his... Like, Lewis Scott says, like, in a press conference that he's, like, sick of having to, like, carry the back of his team like that. And I was like, man, that's, like, some, like, T.O. on the Eagles era style, like, locker room cancer. And if you go back to the history, no one has single-handedly carried their team on the NBA Finals. So if they, yeah, they tried exactly. to model him, if they actually tried to model him like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan was pompous. He was an ass. He talked a lot of shit. Michael Jordan was a winner and brought that out in his teammates. Like, yeah. yes, he was probably not an easy guy to play with, but that is a difference than being just a complete jerk. 
he was still like you know and jordan don't get me wrong he had his elements of being a ball hog but he wasn't like publicly bashing like scotty pippen uh you know what i mean he wasn't gonna like go public and you know cause issues with uh you know with any of his teammates in that era so like uh, yeah that i don't know that like just rubs me like the wrong way yeah and you just you can't get to the nba finals with one dude uh if if you could the rockets would have done it (laughs) (laughs) um there's also uh there's the other basketball thing, uh, the the Celtics are almost all white. Just like some problematic casting there. Yeah, that's like I feel like that's like way too much casting. Just like looking at Larry Bird, sadly, like or something like that in that era, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know anything that happens in the in the arena is just kind of tough. The random half court shot. Why is that scene even there? It that, takes away dude, from the stakes that completely. Blew my mind. I was like, I, I, I was so blown away by the fact that like, it seemed like they, um, like they wanted to use like money in the like third act of the movie to try to make it seem like these guys were like redeemable in a way. And there were all these like weird things that happened in that last third act sequence. Um, the dude, the half court shot, like they somehow like all this, they, you know, they come out ahead <laughs> is insane. Um, also, there was like this weird interaction with like born again Christians in it that I thought just like made no sense at all for it being there. Um, I, it was almost like, oh, we're going to get a lot. Like it almost felt like edgelord humor where like someone tries to say something really you know really like shocking and uh and it doesn't do anything like you know people kind of like are like eh, and that's all of Aykroyd's uh prison rape jokes yeah again edgelord humor so weird like and just didn't I don't even think it would have gotten a laugh in you know in the wacky mid 90s either I agree. I I mean, and, and clearly it didn't. Um, the I think the biggest thing that didn't work about this movie is that is kind of what you were just saying about you know the did them trying to make them redeemable, but it not really working. There's no setup for them being friends with Lewis or him even letting them off. There's like they need that classic Stockholm syndrome thing that kidnapping comedies do, where like they they kind of gradually become friends, or there's some sort of indication of post kidnapping things even if it is like the twisted thing of saving silverman where like steve zahn and amanda pete just have that connection there's nothing about that like lewis is just trying to get away and he sees them for how twisted they are like jimmy flaherty is kind of like he is uh he's very emotionally stunted that i mean that guy's just not all there mike is a sociopath Lewis sees that he's just trying to get away until he beats Mike's ass in basketball. Uh, he wouldn't take advice from them to change his ways. He certainly would say they're friends. He's well aware that they're crazy. There's nothing redeemable about them. They didn't set up any kind of, you know, sign of mutual respect between them and Lewis. So it's kind of weird that the movie ends with Mike telling Lewis the error of his ways in the past. They either needed to set this up to where 
you know, they, that they they let Lewis go willingly or, you know, they're dark and twisted and Lewis throws them under the bus and they go to prison, I think. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's where like the you know, the like like what we said, if you wanted to make this really dark, like critically acclaimed movie, you probably could. You definitely um, could. <laughs> and like that's kind of the direction where if it ended where, you know, there was some sort of uh repercussion, um it would be a you know, infinitely more um, fascinating movie, but there's no way that Judd Apatow and Colin Quinn set out for that to be uh, the premise at all. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, the Kevin Costner, Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for best and worst on-screen athlete. I mean, for what he was given, I thought Damon Wayans was fine, but other than that, there's not really, there's not really too much. The basketball is just, like I said, low intensity, kind of lame. Yeah. The, there's, I mean, it's a, you said it right. It's a sports movie without really, any sports movies which now that or sports moments which now that i think about it like i really have a history of like uh suggesting to you <laughs> sports movies that are about sports but have terrible sports moments in them exactly uh, that bar- varsity I, would, blues I would take varsity blues as, over this varsity take... blues football was way better than uh celtic pride basketball <laughs> i'll ride for varsity blues any day the lenny harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character this this one actually is there's a couple decent nominees. There's a very young Jeff Ross as the uh, what the the car the guy who got his car stolen his Porsche stolen the guy who's like that Porsche was two weeks old oh or two months gosh, old or whatever. Oh my gosh, that is Jeff Ross. Isn't very it? young That's Jeff wild. Ross. And in that scene, he's talking to Paul Guilfoyle as Kevin O'Grady, who is the stereotypical Irish American cop. Uh, there's Christopher McDonald as, as Coach Kimball. It, it was kind of Shooter McGavin ish. Um, there's Adam Hendershot as Tommy, Mike's son. And then the one guy we haven't talked about yet, Daryl Hammond is Chris McCarthy. Yep. Who's the unlucky fan. Who's also at the Buckner game. Yep. Yep. Uh, for me, it's, it's either Christopher McDonald or Adam Hendershot. It's either Mike's son or coach Kimball. What's your pick? Um, I am going to go. I mean, I, I think I got to go coach Kimball. I got to go Christopher McDonald. Sometimes it's got to be tough with these guys. Lurch! Come here. <laughs> Put the good stuff down the bench, son. I feel you, coach. Yeah, feel the bench. All right? Look, I feel like if you watch this movie in theaters in 1996, Chris, you know, uh, Christopher McDonald is not going to win this award in any way at all. It's just the oh wow factor of looking back at yeah, it. Yeah, that's Shooter McGavin. <laughs> Yeah, it's like that's Shooter McGavin, literally like the second before he became Shooter McGavin, which is insane. Weirdly decent sports movie year for him. I I would also say that uh, I would also say that it wasn't leaned into enough, but uh, Bill Walton and Marv Albert being with oh, cameos what in an movie? underutilized asset having Dude, those. Two why was board. there's why not was a there single not comedic line? Why was there not more? It was literally the most bland of the bland, like, you know, just simple, well, here we are today, like, whatever. And they could have written so much more for them. Um, They could have used them like uh, Brent Musburger and and Dan Fouts in The Waterboy. Dude, exactly. And that would have been perfect. 
it's just that they like you know at the end of the day they just didn't want to go there with like having that much actual sports in the movie exactly uh the big chill there, there's none i think we can both agree there's not even a moment that's close in this movie you don't feel anything for anyone in this movie nah no. Um, if Nothing's this had happened redeemable. In, yeah, if, if this if this had happened in real life, would it make a good 30 for 30? I mean, I say yeah. I mean, yeah. it'd be one of the crazier stories ever. I mean, I think the, uh, the, the comparison I can think of is the Tom Brady jersey story. Uh, the, like, stolen... But put suit. a person in that jersey. But put a person in that jersey. Right. It's like, but they made a like Fox made a documentary about that, that just came out. So like, you know, if you can make it, if you make a documentary about somebody stealing Tom Brady's Tom Brady's Super Bowl Jersey, uh, you know, this would be, this would go down as one of the most insane documentaries of all time. If it, if it had actually happened. And we don't know how the documentary would end because the movie ends with them kidnapping Deion Sanders, proving that they're true sociopaths. That was the most, that was the most insane. What an insane way to end the movie. I would love to talk to Judd Apatow. I mean, obviously, I would love to talk to him about a hundred million things, but I would love to talk to him about this movie. And like, and you're like, what, who were Mike and Jimmy in your opinion? Like, were they these, was the lesson of this movie that these guys are underdeveloped sociopaths and not redeemable? And, you know, the, if so, let's get into, you know, how to improve it. Would yeah, do you think this you know, we've kind of said that this would have been better as a dark comedy. Yes. I think that like so um for starters, like Mike Mike's like wife never really leaves him. It's just like a lot of like, oh, here's divorce papers. Oh, here I am, blah blah blah. Like, you know, there's there's kind of a little like it nothing really seems like final. Um, in that relate character development there. Um, and then with Jimmy, there's borderline no character development at all. Um, I also think that um, I'm going to backtrack to Mike for one, just one second. I feel like because they emphasize so much of the like high school sports sort of stereotype with him. Um, I, I feel like they should have like leaned into that more. Maybe give us a flashback. Maybe, like, you know, uh, talk about some of those, like, traumatizing moments and, uh, you know, just develop the character more to make us understand why you're so crazy. They're the same dudes that they were in the beginning of the movie with no repercussions about to do the same thing. They're a hundred thousand dollars richer. (laughs) Yeah. They're teetering on the edge of mentally being like mentally unstable. It's not endearing. It's not really a great thing that they don't end up in jail. The last scene of this movie is them like shooting hoops in the prison yard. You know, that's better. This movie either needs to be a dark comedy with a tough ending for Mike and Jimmy or completely bumbling guys with good hearts, with proven redeemable characteristics and redeemable things, where it's even more of a total accident that they end up in in the situation. Like, it's something like, maybe Lewis doesn't, you know, he, he wakes up in their apartment and he's just like, I'm not going to this game, I don't want the pressure, I don't want to play game seven, and if you guys say anything about it, I'm going to say you kidnapped me. Or something like that. I, I think that premise. See, would work that better. would be that would be really really fun. 
Like that would be cool if, um, you know, if Lewis Scott like just just like leans into the idea of being a truly insane like ego maniac. Like they hint at him being, but then when they really start developing him, he's really like perfectly rational about it and very and honestly kind of modest and endearing about it. Yeah, I mean he's um he's the calmest person in the movie. Like he's a jerk, but he I mean you're kind of rooting for him because Mike and Jimmy suck so bad. Yeah, like you almost like like it's a totally different movie if that is what happens and you know he goes so crazy in that aspect where he's like if you yeah, if you <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say you kidnapped me. That's a really funny premise. <laughs> Brandon, uh, let's go. The final category before, more, or restore. Would you like to say prequel, a sequel, or a remake? And I, I want to throw a remake scenario onto you. We get right. Judd Apatow after 20 years of, of learning how to make good movies, great comedies. We give him a shot at a remake. Stars Ben Affleck and Matt Damon as Jimmy and Mike. And Wahlberg is the cop, and Lakeith wow. Stanfield as uh, as Lewis Scott. Amazing! It sounds like I think I think we need like Bill Simmons involved in the project in some way. Well, he's got um, the money now, apparently. Yeah, he's got the money now, and I think that like I, I don't know what his role would be uh, entirely. Bill Bill Simmons, maybe let's say like the world is uh, you know Bill Simmons is a is a Boston sports guy with a Boston sports podcast. And, uh, you know, he, he then involves all of these characters on it. He, he would serve as a good film narrator. Uh, a, a good thing that sports movies do when done effectively is use like an announcer or radio guy to kind of, um, to kind of narrate the movie and give you an idea of what's going on in the sports world. Seabiscuit does that really well with William yeah. H. Macy as the radio guy and you kind of get the gist of what's going on in, in horse racing and with Seabiscuit's career, having clips of like Simmons's podcast talking about how Lewis Scott is killing the Celts and what's Brad Stevens going to do about defending this guy and stuff like that would be, be interesting. Affleck and Damon would, would bring the Boston. They can both be really funny, especially together. Um, you know, same with Wahlberg. I'm, I'm all for it. I would love to see it. I think that I think that'd be I think that'd be a great I think that'd be a great movie. I think I think I'm getting like I know what I know what you're saying from a writer's standpoint. I keep getting like uh like like little glimpse like, like a feeling that like it's like Aaron Sorkin writing <laughs> writing well, if Bill you go Simmons dark, part. <laughs> if you want to go dark with it and it's it's like you it's Matt Damon's character. It's his character from talented Mr. Ripley, but more Boston. It's Affleck from the town. Uh, it's, it's Wahlberg from fear. It's just the craziest, worst people you've ever met. Just a bunch of sociopaths kidnapping a basketball player. It's See, a beautiful disaster. It, this sounds terrible, like and very macabre, but like, you know, the world of a, like op- apocalyptic, dark sports movie like that, like, you know, that, kind of interesting that seems like it'd be really a pretty compelling movie hey it's the 2020s uh, we got to try new things it's got it's the 2020s we got to get we got to get weirder 
Well, I, I got to say, I will never watch this one again. I will watch that remake if they if they make it. But Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, taking the time out of your day to talk about this horrible movie. <laughs> Tell the folks where they can follow you on social media and where they can find what you're doing at Bro Bible. Awesome. Uh, just just Twitter, uh, Brandon Wenard, W-E-N-E-R-D is my, my main jam. And uh, just check out BroBible.com when you get a chance. And that is a wrap for this episode of Big Screen Sports. Thanks again to Brandon for coming on, talking Celtic Pride with me. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe, go rate, leave a review on your podcasting app of choice, especially if that is Apple Podcasts. Tune in next week for a really cool episode. It's an interview and conversation with author Anika Orox. She's got a new book coming out, The Incredible Woman of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. If that league sounds familiar to you as a sports movie, it is the basis for a movie, A League of Their Own. So you know we got in some good League of Their Own talk. Uh, Tune in for that. Also, if you are a baseball fan, please go check out From Phenom to the Farm. My interview series presented by Baseball America comes out every other Tuesday. Uh, This past week, we had former Nationals prospect J.P. Ramirez on talking about his career story. Next week, we will have former big leaguer and LSU quarterback Josh Booty on. Should be a good one. Until then, we'll see you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.